Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. It's very important to note that though as you hear these words, another Easter holiday has come and gone, true Easter, that is the gift of resurrection for our lives and living, goes on. This is reflected in the fact that the biblical story of Easter does continue way beyond the discovery of the empty tomb and the news that Jesus has risen from the dead. We're going to look at one part of that ongoing story in our message today, Jesus' appearance to the disciples in the upper room on Easter evening. The message today is entitled, The Peaceable Presence, and it's based on John chapter 20, the verses numbered 19 through 23. Well, all I've really got to say here is that it's a good thing that we all know the Easter story the way we do because given the readings that we've shared over the past couple of weeks, you've got to wonder where all the happy endings are. After all, as you'll remember from last Sunday, our Easter reading of Mark's resurrection story ended with the women running away from the tomb, seized, Mark says, with terror and amazement, saying nothing to anyone about it, so stunned and afraid they, that they were over what they had seen and experienced. And now, this morning, we've got this passage from John that Myron just shared with us that begins with the men this time, all cowering behind locked doors, quite literally paralyzed with fear. For those of us who are still seeking a definitively triumphant end to this whole Monday, Thursday, Good Friday narrative, this would not seem to be it. For here we are, still, even now, as John tells the story, in the evening on that day, the first day of the week, understand we're talking about Easter evening here, still waiting with the disciples amidst their lingering hopelessness and fear. Put it another way, the disciples are hiding out, quite possibly hiding out in the very same upper room where Jesus had shared the Passover meal with them, where he'd spoken of the broken bread being his body and the wine representing the, the new covenant in his blood to say nothing of promising them that he would not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day drinking it new in the kingdom of God. Understand here, it had only been three days since all of this had happened, but in truth it might as well have been a lifetime ago. Because of course, everything, and I mean everything, had changed. Now, instead of having the ritual of the Passover meal being followed so meticulously, the window shades were drawn tight. The doors of the house were barred and locked, and these disciples were all huddling together for fear that what happened to Jesus would most certainly also happen to them. So they kept quiet, so not to be heard by passing authorities religious or governmental. 
all through these three days and long into each night, they sat there, likely not sleeping at all, rather listening for every telltale sound, every footstep at the doorway. They braced <clears throat> for a sound of a knock at the door that meant they'd been discovered. Now, I tell you all this, but as a way of, of also sharing with you with that, what's interesting to me as I think about it all is that surely by this time, by Easter evening, the disciples had to have heard the news, at least in rumor, the news about the tomb being empty. This incredible, impossible possibility that just maybe what Jesus had said would happen had actually come to pass that he'd risen from the dead. Mark's version of the story, of course, doesn't allude to this at all. What with the women running off in fear? But at least in John's version, where we draw our text from today, Mary has had her encounter with the risen Christ in the garden. Remember, she initially thought that the voice behind her was the gardener until she heard her name being called by Jesus himself. And so then she goes back to the disciples and she had announced to those disciples that she'd actually seen the Lord. So you'd have thought that this would have at least had some kind of effect on the disciples and their attitude and their spirit. But not even this firsthand account of Jesus' resurrection could serve to transform or even begin to lift their spirits. No. What's clear here is that this upper room experience let the disciples' fear become far too great and all-encompassing. And not, we should add, merely in the sense that they feared for their lives. For you see, in these dark days since the cross, the remaining 11 disciples were racked by their own sorrow and grief, intermingled with the horrible dull pain of guilt and shame. To put it simply, life as they knew it was over. And the thought of, of going on when life as they knew it was over was just terrifying. In truth, this upper room, where just a few days before they gathered in Passover faith and sacred tradition, served now as, well, a prison to them. Every bit of their own anguish and fear having become every bit as impenetrable as bars on a window or a locked cell door. There's no Easter joy, no triumph in this moment. All there is, as we pick up the reading today, is just this lingering sense of hopelessness and fear and dread. And you know what? I can understand that. And I suspect that you can too. Truth be told, most of us, if not all of us, know something about fear and dread. The kind of fear and dread that life and living can inspire on a regular basis. Fear about whether we're going to be able to get by to be able to work, to make ends meet, to, to deal with all the financial pressures today's world thrusts upon us. Fear about the kind of fiercely divided 
increasingly amoral world our children are growing up in and fear about what happens to us all in such an uncertain time as this. Fear about uh, the lingering effects of a global pandemic if things will ever truly return to normal. And what if still the people we love get sick? Or for that matter, fear about whether life and living holds any meaning. Or if in the end, who and what we really are ends up being a disappointment to everyone. I could go on here. Fear of, of being alone. Fear of being helpless. Fear of being powerless. Fear of being out there on the road of life without any answers and with no hope at all. And as if that isn't enough, how about you? What is, what is your greatest fear? What do you dread most in your life? What's your greatest doubt in 2021? My friends, if you can put a finger on that, and I'll bet you can, then you know something about what it is to be locked away in a prison of fear. This, to put this another way, is what it means to live as though the tomb still held Jesus. And that's where the disciples were. But here's the good news. This is exactly where the risen Christ appears. Stepping right in the middle of the disciples' fear and their dread and doing the same for us. Although the doors were shut, and although the disciples were locked within, John tells us that Jesus came and stood among them, and the first thing he says is, Peace be with you. In the Greek, it's irene, but it's referring to the familiar Hebrew greeting of shalom, peace. God's peace, not merely peace in the sense of, of feeling good or feeling calm, nor is it peace simply as the absence of war and strife and conflict, but peace in the sense of true wholeness, health, and harmony. The fulfillment of a promise that God would bring all of life's blessings together for a common good. Shalom. Now, understand that this was a greeting that these 11 men had heard likely every single day of their lives. But as it was Jesus who was bringing that greeting to them, Jesus himself, risen from the dead and standing there before him, as such, it was more than a greeting, but in fact, a true and lasting peace. Now, the windows might have been shut. The doors might have been lost. Their hope may have all been but lost. Nonetheless, Jesus was there. The risen Lord had broken into the disciples' upper room prison to free them from their fear, showing them his hands and his side, assuring them that by his very presence that nothing, as Paul would say later, nothing in life, death, or all creation 
would ever be able to separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see, this is the gift of resurrection, friends. That amidst our fear and our dread, through our confusion and the lingering anxieties we have, in the challenges of our lives, and even in the middle of the obstacles of, to our faith, the risen Lord stands with us and brings us his peaceable presence, fortifying our faith so that we might withstand the doubt. When the disciples saw Jesus standing there, of course they rejoiced. And it's no wonder that immediately they were able to open those locked doors and go and boldly witness to what they'd seen and experienced. <laughs> Think of this for a minute. They went from being fear-filled followers to fearless missionaries in a single moment, just like that. But you see, that's the power of God's peaceable presence that comes through the risen Christ. He is not about to let us be shut up and shut out by the sorrow and sadness of life, but chooses and is determined to meet us face to face precisely in those places where we dwell in our fear and freeing us to go out into all of life's uncertainties with courage, with faith, and even with joy, especially with joy. Not even good old Dowdy Thomas, whose story immediately follows our text for today. Not even Dowdy Thomas could stand by his self-imposed skepticism once he himself had met the risen Christ. Even when he'd been given the opportunity to get the kind of proof he said he needed, in the end, all it took was Jesus' presence and his peace manifest in his Holy Spirit for Thomas to believe. And here's the thing. It's a peaceable present that is ours as well, even today. Now, we weren't there with him in that upper room prison on that Easter Sunday evening. But just as I suspect we know what it is to be imprisoned by our fear, I also would wager a guess that we've had the experience of, of having the breath of God's own spirit blow divine peace into our lives right in the middle of that fear. Perhaps it has come to us in the inexplicable moments of grace when our despair and confusion is transformed into a palpable sense of serenity, and dare I say, even power. Moments when we really, logically, don't think we have any reason to be calm, but we are. Perhaps we felt it in a time of prayer, or shared it in a community of faith, or from the embrace of a kindred heart. The point is, is that we don't need to see the risen Christ. We don't need to put our fingers in the mark of the nails or our hand in his side in order to believe. Because the proof is that wherever we are in our lives, wherever we happen to be physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus comes to us where we are and he fills us with his Holy Spirit 
giving us his peaceable presence that drives out the fear and the dread we're experiencing, calms our anxieties and eases our weariness, so that like Thomas before us, we too might not doubt, but believe. Some years ago now, there was a very powerful piece uh, in Newsweek magazine, back when it was still a magazine, written by a man by the name of James Harford a writer and educator from San Antonio, Texas. And he wrote in this essay about how, when he learned that he was dying from the HIV AIDS virus, decided right then and there that he was gonna do everything in life that he'd always wanted to do. Against, I should add here, the emphatic advice of his family, his friends, and his doctors. He set out to take a cruise on the River Nile. He explored just about every street in the city of Cairo, despite warnings that there might be terrorists there and he would get shot. And he literally crawled around the burial chambers of the Great Pyramids, despite whatever germs or infections might have been in there. After that, he decided he was gonna go snorkeling in the Caribbean. He explored Mayan ruins, and when that was all done, get this, he cashed in the remainder of his retirement money and he bought his dream sports car. And he drove it all around Texas with great joy. You need to understand, and Harford explained this himself, he was a self-described practical, cautious man. He was a family man, he had a wife and children, he had people to take care of. But he said that this uncertain future gave him the freedom to travel the world and do everything he'd ever dreamed of doing, and to do it without fear. And the upshot is that rather than killing him, all this increased activity actually served to improve his health. In fact, his prognosis was so good two years after he'd set out on all of his uh, travels to do everything, as they say, on his bucket list, that he was forced to sell his beloved sports car. I needed something cheap and dependable, he said, because now I had a future. Now, I'm not sure how much faith played into James Harford's stories, although I will say, last night I looked him up and discovered before, that before he eventually passed away, and after many years working as an advocate for those living with HIV, he was also an active member of a Presbyterian church there in San Antonio. And it struck me that in a very real way, this story illustrates what happens when God's peaceable presence comes into play. It's the knowledge that while life is arbitrary, God is not. And whatever the challenges are that we have to face, Christ does come to us that we might be totally freed from the fear of it and thus be able to live as fully and as abundantly as God has always meant to us to live. And isn't that, after all, the whole reason that Christ has come? As John Gospel has said it at the close of his 20th chapter, the story of that day of resurrection, it is that we might become to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, we may have life in his name. It reminds me of something 
that I read long ago, something that the French scientist, mathematician, and philosopher Blaise Pascal once said. It seems that Pascal's daughter had recently died and a friend of his had come to visit. And this friend was amazed by Pascal's sense of peace in the face of such tragedy. The friend said to him, I wish I had your creed. Then I would live your faith. To which Pascal replied, Live my life, and soon you will have my creed. Truly, friends, the faith that frees us to live abundantly, joyfully, and eternally is a faith that's not ultimately about words printed on a page or found in verses memorized, but is experiential. It's about a real Savior who conquers death and who comes to us amidst all of our real-life fears so that he might set us free now and forever. We need not be afraid of what this world and what the uncertainty of this life brings to us. For the risen Christ has overcome this world, and he promises us a peace that we will overcome our world as well. So breathe on us, breath of God. Fill us with life anew. Come to us as the risen Christ that we might be free. And may our thanks always be unto you, O God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, The Peaceable Presence. It was recorded as part of our April the 11th online service of worship at East Church. And by the way, that was our organist and director of music, Susan Goulet, there, performing Breathe On Me, Breath of God. Well, that brings us close to the end of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. This is Michael Lowry, and not only do I want to thank you once again for listening, but I also want to offer up a quick reminder and an invitation to join us live for one of those online services. 
They happen each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. We'd love it if you could share in our worship with us. So, until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.